All right, welcome back to another episode of Finding Peaks. We are in chapter five of our episodes here, right? Episode five? Yeah. yeah. Good, good energy behind it. Mm -hmm. We're feeling a little bit looser than we were in the beginning. We're not so serious. We did try to come up with a joke for this to, to lighten the mood coming into it, but we failed to deliver here. But we do want to give a shout out to Sandra, who's been watching our videos with consistency and providing feedback to Jason Friesma. You so far are our number one fan, yeah. and we Shout thank out. you. I would do this, but I did that a lot last time. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> Good call. I made the blooper reel. So. We don't want to be we don't want to be cliche. So, <laughs> um, so in this episode, I want to talk about a client, Noah, who recently came through our program. Um, and of course, for viewers, that's not the real name of the client. So, uh, protecting uh, anonymity here, and HIPAA, of course, and. Um, I think what comes up for me about this, and one of the things that I'm really trying to work on from um, an advertising lens is that addiction treatment centers across the country, you get to their website, and they talk a lot about hope and change, and we're, we're in a position to be able to help you and your loved one um, through the recovery journey. Um, but below all that hyperbolic language is a real responsibility to treat an individual who's suffering from um, both addiction, as we've been consistent about here, that is an actual um, mental health disorder. Um, and this individual that we're thinking about here presently also was a bipolar borderline, so has greater complexity than just a standard you know, addiction mental health disorder in that regard. And um, within each and every day of treatment, it seemed like every 48 hours, um, he would become distressed, out of discomfort, whether it was stuff he was experiencing in the groups and so forth, but it really required our team in any given moment to be able to wrap our arms around that. And Jason, coming from you know, a, a much smaller program that didn't always have the opportunities to wrap our arms around individuals like this, um, I just wanted to talk or express or you know, show families that you know, in some way, each and every day here at Peaks, there's an intensity about what we do and there's an, a, an enormous amount of energy that goes into it, and really without, I think, necessarily prompting a question about it, um, just walk through what it's like day in day of the clinical life of, okay, we're running a group, client leaves the group, how do we as a company, I guess I'm asking a question now, wrap okay. our arms around that individual um, and make sure that they're safe and whole while also not making it a distraction for the rest of the group and the clients that are in our care. Um, where was the question and all that? Like I missed it. <laughs> See, this is why I'm going to lead with you. Did you oh, hear wow. me? Did I hear your yeah. question? I did. Okay. Yeah. No, you did. There really wasn't a like question. Jason to repeat it for me. Okay. <laughs> um, what was the question? Yeah. How do we? <laughs> That's what I thought. Right. So well, let me. I'll, I, have a, I have an answer to a question I didn't hear. It's okay. It's, I have one of those too. So okay. you go first. So part of part of your statement, uh, you talked about the intensity. Of peaks and, and in Noah's case particularly, I think it's in particular, I think it's interesting because he struggled actually with some of the intensity, if you will, of our programming. And so uh, when you talked about kind of the, in the intensity of peaks to be able to wrap around him, it was actually uh, our staffing that allowed, allowed us to kind of wrap around him and provide him some relief from the intensity that he was kind of experiencing within, if you will. And we were able to kind of provide him some one-on-one -on -one care and also some uh, grounding uh, opportunities outside of actual clinical sessions so that he could stabilize because he, he was a pretty, is a pretty complicated individual with a pretty complex constellation of uh, disorders. Um, so we were able to both provide the intensity and provide the relief from the intensity. 
Okay. I heard something completely different in the statement, but that's okay. So, <laughs> um, you can just say whatever you want. I think. Like, right. yeah. Well, that's pretty on brand for me. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Um, anyway, so I guess starting with the very, very first thing you said, this idea of um, something that we've talked about in the past, this idea of uh, addiction being a mental health diagnosis, right? And so um, I don't think that there's I've ever treated or um, had a client who has not had some sort of co-occurring diagnosis when they come into treatment. There's almost always an underlying mental health, um, some, some other, uh, other underlying mental health issue that's going alongside with the, uh, with the actual addiction component of what they're in treatment for. And so what ends up happening, I think a lot of times, particularly with families, is there's, there's a lack of understanding that they're not, we're not actually just treating this addiction. We're not just treating this behavior that they're seeing as disruptive. We're treating all of the underlying um, issues and symptoms and um, acuities and complexities that go along and have attributed to that addiction at the same time. So when somebody comes in um, and they have this high level of acuity, I mean, and again, Noah's case was extremely complex, you know, um, borderline and uh, bipolar, uh, manic episodes, you know, certain paranoia, um, you know, and then walking into an intensive program that is, uh, I think we talked about it, I don't know if it was in the last episode or the episode before, that uh, one of our roles in, in treatment is to agitate and to sort of get some of those underlying issues and symptoms to the surface so that, like, like Jason just said, so we can address them. Um, but when you have that high level of acuity, it can be, it's a really delicate dance in being able to do that. And um, I think usually in, in Noah's case, the, what ended up happening is there's just a, a, a lower tolerance for the ability to handle treatment in its entirety, right? Because we have a, a, you know, our program in particular is 45 days long and, you know, we were able to get a, a certain amount of time with him and be able to be successful within that certain amount of time. But... The, but because it doesn't maybe look like families expect it to look, that, that idea that we were successful is harder to see and harder to understand. Yeah. So on nearly every addiction treatment center website, they say dual diagnosis programming. Uh, what do we want to share with families about what that means and then what it means to actually treat something of that nature? Because at Peaks Recovery, right, for example, to have a stabilization model that's 45 days long, there are things we will fulfill within that time frame, and there are things that we will not be able to fulfill in that. And whether the program's 90 days, 120 days, or whatever the length of stay is in that regard, um, there are limitations of programming, and programs should be taking an honest approach about that. So through that dual diagnosis lens, um, you know, what can we share with families about what those opportunities look like within treatment, and then what is a treatment center responsibility about that? And is there an ordering to it as well, too? I know I'm asking multiple questions here, but an ordering, and do we, deal, do we touch the addiction first, craving states, move on to the others, or is it sort of, you know, as symptoms are arising and coming up, we're just dealing with them, you know, in turn? Great question, Brandon, and, and certainly, uh, being a dual diagnosis, or great questions. Thank you. Yeah. Long series of questions yeah. uh, for us to answer. You do the first half. It's the philosophy. Yeah. I, I, I get one stop. through four, yeah. and you get four <laughs> through nine. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, I do think dual diagnosis certainly became 
It's a popular phrase, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's been around, I don't know, probably a decade now at least, yeah. uh, uh, very common. And I, I don't know a treatment center that says they aren't dual diagnosis, truthfully. Mm-hmm. And, and what it does mean a lot of times is hiring, uh, first of all, clinicians that know both uh, mental health and substance abuse treatment. It also usually means uh, medication management, having good medical care uh, in addition to the clinical support. And then practically speaking, um, it is meeting individuals where they are and being able to have good clinical dialogue and being able to, to meet clients where they, are, where they are in order to help them or to, to provide the support they need to address both issues. Because symptoms of uh, meth use look very similar to bipolar disorder. And frequently people walk in with the diagnosis of both and being able to distinguish which, uh, which is actually primary is part of our job, especially in a stabilization period, is, yeah. is really honing uh, a good diagnostic set, I would say. Yeah, I actually did a screening earlier today for um, a client who was looking to go into treatment with um, uh, methamphetamine addiction. And during the screening, you get, you know, you're, you're collecting symptoms, you know, you're trying to identify, like, are we looking at a substance use disorder? Uh, that is primary, or is this a primary mental health use dis- or mental health disorder? Um, <clears throat> and like Jason said, you know, there, uh, a lot of times substance use mirrors the symptoms of other mental health diagnoses, and so you really don't know. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of all up in the air. And, it, and there's a part of me from like maybe like a more philosophical standpoint that thinks that it's just a diagnosis, right? It's a mental health diagnosis, period, and we have the ability to help. So. Um, I think the idea of dual diagnosis, again, sort of reinforces this binary uh, perception that addiction is somehow different than other mental health diagnoses and that addiction treatment, therefore, is somehow different than other mental health treatment. Um, And I I don't think that that serves the client. I don't think that it serves, I think, uh, from a, a a social perspective and cultural perspective, I think that it actually... Uh, reinforces alienation and shame of the addiction community. Well, I think that's a great point, actually, and, and not to go on too big of a tangent with that, but um, a while ago I was asked to come and guest lecture at a, at a graduate program here in Colorado Springs, and um, they didn't have any addiction focus, and they asked me to come and speak in their class, and even before I went in, there were, there were a couple of students that were like, yeah, I don't have any interest in dealing with addiction. And then as part of my lecture I gave, I talked about how if you're going to be a counselor, you're going to deal with addiction. Like, I don't, I don't care uh, if you're in a private practice in, in one of these buildings downtown or um, at a mental health clinic, like you're going to deal with addiction because uh, they are so interrelated. And, and a little chicken and egg, which comes first? Uh, sometimes that's helpful in the diagnostic process and um, sometimes it's not, but like, I, I just think it's so prevalent and to dis- it's almost to have distinct, to call it dual diagnosis. It's really, why, why do we do that? Like yeah. it's actually all kind of part of the same bucket. It's just a diagnosis Correct. or a yeah. couple of diagnoses. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. But it's all one and the same. And I think the more uh, we understand addiction and the more we understand actual mental health in general, um, uh, as our, we become more advanced in our understanding of um, uh, neuropsychology and um, all of the sort of different areas and ways in which the brain impacts uh, us behaviorally and emotionally, 
I think that we start to see uh, how, you know, the brand doesn't really care, like whether or not this is, you know, you're depressed because you're using, um, because of a substance that you're putting into your system or a hormone that you're lacking. The reality is that you're just depressed. And mm -hmm. so being able to um, sort of get rid of these kind of preconceived ideas and move towards a more, uh, a, a truly holistic model in which we just learn how to best help people mm. and we stop focusing so much on these diagnoses. I think that we actually get much more, I don't know, for me that, that's, that's where the excitement of this field comes from for me, is being able to sort of take out uh, these old ideas and ways of approaching things and looking at um, new models, new ways, new uh, approaches and uh, kind of just way, and I think it all starts with how we actually talk about addiction, how we talk about mental health. Yeah, all excellent, excellent points and I appreciate you guys really running with a series of questions there um, and, and informing everybody about that. I think it's a dual diagnosis. Did the we cover them all? It. I feel like you did. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, Ooh. or I lost sight of all my questions <laughs> and your answers were so extensive that right. <laughs> they I saw you looking at your hand where you yeah, had like, hey. written. But like, yeah, yeah, okay, no. <laughs> you guys missed number eight. So for me, you know, we have a 45-day curriculum, in mm. essence, to stabilize and then anchor folks into recovery. Uh, no one in this instance, I think from the time he admitted into program, we were able to achieve 25 or 26 total days of support um, through another intervention at the beginning, through another treatment program back into our program. Uh, but 25 days falls short of 45 days. And we set strong expectations from the beginning that we're gonna do everything we can to get to 45 days. And um, you know, upon his discharge, I felt like, you know what, maybe we felt a little short here. There's something of, from my position where I feel like we, you know, we could have done more, but when I reflect on it and documentation and everything, we did an extraordinary amount for this individual. And then just before we started this uh, video session today, um, you know, we were getting positive feedback in a way about you know, the dad's experience and hey, my son's talking differently and all this sort of stuff. Um, so my question is here is, is it, it's not necessarily in days at times, and it feels like we need more time, more time, more time to work with individuals. And in this guy's case, it's certainly true that he could use more time in treatment episodes, and I think he's in an outpatient program at this time, but what does success look like in treatment? If we can't quantify it in days or finishing you know, curriculum mm -hmm. and that sort of stuff, because when I reflect on his, you know, his time with us, we did a lot in a way that other treatment centers you know, may have fallen you know, sure, out of staffing or whatever the issues might be at the end of the day, I'm quite proud of what our team has been able to deliver in that regard. And certainly past peaks would have, you know, three years ago peaks would have missed this opportunity um, in an extraordinary way. So, um, so what does success kind of look like here? 13 seconds, go. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> in, in all seriousness though, I do think Here's how I conceptualize it. Everybody walks in with a different start line and everybody has a different finish line. And, and what I mean by that is it's easy to, to, to just think like in a race terms of like, hey, we offer a 10K race and so it's exactly 10 kilometers. Well, for us, I think it's different. For some people, it takes Herculean effort for them to make what to other people would seem like a small amount of progress. Um, but everybody walk, every human who walks into our program has an entry point where they are starting and, and they're all over the place. From homelessness, family, you know, absolutely nothing to, eh, mm -hmm. I still have a lot going for me but I'm just recognizing this is getting out of control. And so 
with those different start lines, not everybody's going to have the same finish line. Not everybody's going to, you know, walk out to, um, you know, a restorative a job and family back intact and, and a car and, you know, a nice bow um, around it. But, but can we provide enough runway in 45 days, which is a pretty arbitrary number, by the way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I want to make sure I point that out. But like, can we, in, in, a, in a length of stay with us, can we provide um, progress, whatever that might look like? Can we provide, you know, some distance? And, and in Noah's case, like, you know, his start line was, was pretty far back from other people and he was able to make significant progress. Does his finish line look like everybody else's? No, it doesn't. But did he make dramatic progress? Absolutely, he did. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I like that metaphor of like the, everybody has like a different starting line. And first, I, I think a, to take it even, maybe one step further than that, I think some people are playing actually different sports, right? Like there's a whole track and field thing going on there. Like some people are running, some people are throwing shot put, some people are, um, I don't know, javelin, like I'm going to start pulling it up from there. Yeah, well, the Olympics are coming up. So yeah, I'm exactly. Ready. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you're welcome, Japan. Yeah. Um, Tokyo. So, uh, so I think that, again, it's all, it is, there's a certain, certain amount of relativity to it. And again, I think we have this expectation, this sort of treatment in general being kind of very linear and that there's a, an equation that you just kind of plug people into. And then on the outside, you get sobriety. Um, and that's just not how it works. And uh, so it's, there's a, relative, a relativity to what success looks like. And again, I think it's all based on how much better is the individual or the client living when they leave. You know? And it's, sometimes it's, uh, again, they're making these small increments. Sometimes you see these huge strides, but regardless, there's usually movement. And as long as there's movement, I think that you have, at the very least, the recipe for success. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Um, you know, for me, it means a lot to express to families what these different starting lines and finish points look like within treatment because in the desperation of searching for treatment, um, it's easy to simplify it to think, well, if Johnny just gets 90 days, that's an extraordinary amount of time and change will happen in that. Yeah. But change happens in seven days, it can happen in 20 days, it can happen in 90 days. It might take years for some individuals depending on where their starting point is in this. Um, and really just hope that we can bring somewhat closer to families who, you know, who are viewing this, uh, the notion that the quality of care really matters. Um, under the hood of all the hyper hyperbolic language that you'll be reading when you go to addiction treatment uh, websites in that regard. And um, hopefully we can bring you, um, you know, just a little bit closer to what success might look like and um, mm -hmm. um, to have some grace for yourselves as well in this process too, because each family has in this as well two different starting points and endpoints as well to healing. So um, thank you guys again for your time. Episode five, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're gonna start inviting some new folks um, in the coming weeks um, onto the program to um, you know, increase laughter and you know, <laughs> bring some quality here that uh, we lack at times as well too. So looking forward to wow. bringing new individuals on here. Shots fired. Shots <laughs> fired. Game <Okay>. on. <laughs> Until next time. <laughs>